Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow is underway on this Monday edition. A lot to get to over the so next much. three hours. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. That includes YouTube. You can search out Outkick, hit subscribe, join Chad in the chat, which is already hopping. We appreciate that. Six in the Peabody are located with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, college football reporter, jumps on with us in 20 minutes. Jim Comperoni of SpartansMag.com covers Michigan State. A lot to discuss uh, with the Spartans, uh, with Mel Tucker and the sexual assault investigation where he's likely out of $80 million due to phone sex. And Adam Munstertiger of buffstampede.com. The headlines in college football remain in Colorado, in Boulder, and with Deion Sanders. We'll, we'll get Adam's take on all things buffs and the fact that game day and Big Noon Kickoff are headed their way this coming weekend against Colorado State. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. I, I love Monday shows because I have found over these first couple weeks of football season, I am much better at reacting than predicting oh. what's going to happen because, I mean, it was an utter bloodbath with every prediction I made last week on this show. I'll be the first to own it and raise my hand and say when I suck. Every prediction I made last week, every declaration I made on this show. Every one of them? I'm pretty sure every single one of them was not only off, it was terrifically off throughout the weekend. Um, my betting ledger over the weekend shows as much, just how off I was. So I, I look forward. I found that my strength is in reacting to what happens and not trying to predict things. We're going to get to uh, Texas and their win over Alabama. Uh, what a week one in the NFL with some surprises, uh, beatdowns, and lackluster performances at that. We'll do all of that throughout today's show. Uh, Monday Night Football tonight as well. Yes. Aaron Rodgers making his debut uh, against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Jets and Bills coming up later. We'll preview that. Uh, time for our Scorch Earth top headlines on this Monday coming off the weekend. And we start in Michigan State in East Lansing with Mel Tucker. And Chad, the, the, he's facing sexual assault allegations and uh, with a sexual assault survivor, Brenda Tracy, who speaks at many different functions, uh, team events, uh, about her story of surviving gang rape. And she has had a relationship with Tucker, talked with the Spartans now twice over two years after the second uh, meeting is when things picked up in a, a relationship between them, flirtatious, and he ends up on the phone with un phone sex, which she did not want. She says was not consensual. She has uh, filed a complaint. They've been investigating this since last December. And here we are after week two of the college football season. Mel Tucker's now suspended pending the results of this investigation and this report. And meanwhile, D'Antoni's back. And uh, D'Antonio's back in, in chat. $80 million is what he's left on the table where the language in the contract can send him packing 
and Michigan State fires him with cause because of said language and what is so stupid. Think about the storyline of this and how Tucker's reign at Michigan State at $9.5 million per year comes to an end. And it's been reported uh, that he's out, that he's been fired. It seems like it's just dotting the I's and crossing the T's at this point with the suspension from the university. Uh, interim president and the AD who hired him. It's a very, very dumb and strange story. I mean, to sexually harass, allegedly, the woman hired as a rape survivor to talk to your team about sexual assault and sexual harassment prevention is the one that you decide to hit on. And regardless of, of you know, th- there's two sides to the story. And Mel Tucker has come out and said, it was a very dumb decision that I'm having a hard time forgiving myself for. But also, this was very much a consensual relationship. They had 27 phone conversations lasting about 30 minutes in each phone conversation. The only person I talk on the phone with for 30 minutes is sitting to my right right now. It's Jonathan Hutton. I can promise we've never, uh, we've never had phone sex in any of those 30-minute conversations. At least I haven't. I can't, I can't speak for Hutton. I can promise I've never had phone sex Same. in one of those conversations. Uh, and that's us chatting about the show. I, I don't know how many non-relationships you have where you spend that much time on the phone with each other. So clearly, there was some form of relationship between the two. I have no clue what happened. Um, she says she froze. Uh, everyone I bring this up to says, why wouldn't you just hang up if someone started having unsolicited phone sex on the other end of the phone if you didn't like it? Uh, very odd story throughout. Regardless, Hutton, I think what we're seeing here is Michigan State has found a way to get rid of a salary guaranteed money problem with a coach who has not won enough. Regardless of what happens in this claim and this investigation and everything else. And again, I don't know, just like you don't know, no one knows but those two. I think this is a convenient way for Michigan State to get out from under an albatross of a contract they don't want to pay. Well, Because Mel Tucker's not been good since that one season. You're right. Uh, Ten-year, $95 million, right? They made a mistake. And the inconsistencies in the timeline of his story, because he initially denied the incident took place on a work trip when there are receipts that show otherwise. And then he admits this. It's, he, he ends up admitting in writing, I'm not proud of my judgment. I'm having difficulty forgiving myself for getting in this situation, but I did not engage in misconduct by any definition. He wrote that to the, the Title IX investigator in March. That's through USA Today. So uh, here's the language of the contract that Chad is, is bringing up, and he's right. He can be fired without being owed the remainder of the contract if he engages in, quote, conduct which, in the university's reasonable judgment, would tend to bring public disrespect, contempt, or ridicule on the university. This qualifies as that. So when Brett McMurphy reports yesterday that Tucker's been fired, I think it's it's all but done at this point, except for waiting on this Title IX investigation to wrap up with the conclusion and the university moves forward. Yeah, and again, without knowing the details of what exactly was the relationship between these two and what Mel Tucker is going to claim versus what she claims in this investigation, regardless of that, imagine being Michigan State and being alerted to this. And because of the way you have to go through the process, you can't announce anything or say anything, but knowing about this for a while... And knowing that the coach that you were paying $95 million to 
has underachieved on the field, and then you're the boss of that coach, you're the president, you're the AD, and you get an allegation that this coach allegedly sexually harassed the woman brought in to speak to your team to prevent sexual harassment and is a rape survivor. How just utterly stupid that is. I mean, if you get that complaint, I can understand your initial reaction being, let's fire this guy immediately with cause, please. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So regardless of if who's completely guilty or what, I don't care. It's dumb. Mel Tucker admitted it's dumb. He's having a hard time forgiving himself for it. He acknowledged what she's claiming in this. We don't know their entire relationship, but it's dumb regardless. And I think now Michigan State has their out. This is what's going to happen. Brett McMurphy's report, which initially said he's fired, turned out not to be true based on the, the quick press conference. But it's all but done at this point. Hutton, I'd be shocked if they come back on October 5th when this investigation concludes and say anything other than Mel Tucker is fired with cause because of the morality clause in his contract, and he will be receiving no more money. Yeah, and it, he paid $80 million for phone sex. Yeah. Is ultimately what happens and, here. And now Mark D'Antonio comes back to bridge the gap and With try Harlan to help Bennett the program yeah. through this time before they decide on a new coach. Chad, speaking of coaches, uh, Jeff Levy, former offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. He went to Oklahoma last year. Um, he's calling plays, and Art Bryles is on the field post game. And then Levy posts photos of him and his family with Art Bryles pregame. That's because he's the son in law of Art Bryles, who hasn't coached major college football since 2016 uh, with the sexual assault scandal that hit Baylor. Levy was on that staff as well. He was named in that as well. He was, at that time, wearing shirts that said hashtag CAB for Coach Art Bryles. And Oklahoma head coach Brent Venables didn't know a thing about this with Bryles being on the field pregame, postgame, and wearing Oklahoma gear uh, while they're facing SMU this past Saturday. Levy has talked about this a couple of times. First, it was post-game when he was asked about his father-in-law. Did you, Jeff, did you have, did you reach out to Art Files and invite him onto the sideline tonight? That's my father-in-law. That's, yeah, so he's my father-in-law. That's a grandfather to my two kids. So he was down with our entire family after the game well after the game, but he was down there and with the entire family. I think there's going to be people that have trouble squaring that a little bit because of his... Yeah, well, that, again, he's with his entire family. That's my father-in-law. That's the grandfather to my two kids. There's Levy post-game on Saturday, and Bryles and Levy were mentioned in a lawsuit against Baylor by a student in 2016 for failing to report one of their running backs who allegedly assaulted her. Um, and that's through a Title IX court document that's still available all over the internet. Um, but, Chad, then there's the Brent Venables part of this. We didn't know a thing about it. was caught off guard post-game when he was asked about this and said he's going to get to the bottom of it. On Instagram that night, after that presser, Levy's posting photos on his Instagram story with Bryles, almost doubling down on any questions about Bryles being there and in Oklahoma gear. And... Then he makes his account private, so no one can just join and take screenshots. At least that's what I would perceive the reason to be. Um, as of today, he's issued an apology about Bryles, his father-in-law. 
Um, Levy in a, has? In, yes, in a prepared statement at his press conference. Um, quote, one, I just want everyone to understand, my father-in-law, his presence on the field after the game is something that created a distraction. I apologize for that. That was not my intent at all. The intent was just to celebrate with my family. I do want to correct some reports that said that he had a sideline pass. He did not have a sideline pass given out. He was only on the field when other families were down there and were present. Venables uh, has expressed concern with me. Talk to me about to make sure everyone understands that this is something that will not come up again. And again, there's a lot of backlash there based on Bryles and the former Baylor coach and the controversy there as to not only why he was fired, but him being around a program, the head coach, not knowing anything about it. Sorry to create a distraction. That's 2022-2023 uh, lingo for I'm not really sorry, but I am sorry that people have had to deal with this headache because of something that I'm really not sorry about. That, that's what Jeff Levy's saying. And I kind of side with Jeff Levy on this uh, after really thinking about it. Th that is his father-in-law. He is a grandfather to his kids. And uh, if a, a court of law did not convict him and we can forgive people eventually, then I'm sure well, he can forgive his father-in-law. And it, it, Hutton, this is where when you bow to the mob that immediately is angry about something and your, your knee-jerk reaction is to just ask for forgiveness and apologize, it comes across as getting your wires crossed. Whereas well, now, there's, look, a, there's, it, a, there's a parameter in place, though, when Levy was hired that not only the not only Venables but the AD said were violated in this case, and that came out uh, post game. It, it said um, it shouldn't have happened. It was my expectation; it never would. Based on boundaries we previously set, I've addressed it with the appropriate staff. Uh, meaning, I take that to mean it was agreed to that Bryles wouldn't be around, not only on the field and and present and visible. But especially not in Oklahoma gear. And he was decked out in it, in the OU branded gear. So aside from the apology based on, I mean, this is the fan base that's furious and the staff that didn't know about it. And Levy's doubling down saying he doesn't have a sideline pass. My, my, my assumption is that's kind of the parameter. He's not going to be on the sideline. Well, he's family. So that was kind of the backdoor way of doing that. Yeah, it's look, I, I don't, I, and I don't know. I don't know the whole fan base is furious at Levy for this, or there's a faction of people on social media that's torching Oklahoma for this, and there's a lot of sports writers torching Oklahoma for it. My point is, if they just could have been on the same page on it, this is where I feel bad for Brent Venables because you're presented with something you don't have the full story on, and you end up saying something that clearly pissed Levy off because you're not putting your Instagram story and changing your profile pic to you with Art Bryles, unless you're angry that the coach is apologizing on your behalf when you're not really sorry and saying it's going to be dealt with. I feel like it's one that if everyone, if everyone would on the same page that, hey, Art Bryles cannot be seen anywhere around Oklahoma football, okay, Levy's going to either have to deal with that or go find another job at that point. But if there's any confusion on it, you have to be in the know if you're Brent Venables and you're the AD in this situation and not be thrown some sort of curveball where you're responding to a controversy right. you didn't think should be there. No doubt. Chad, uh, how about Quinn Ewers? We're going to discuss a lot about Jalen Milrow in Alabama, but and that's leading a lot of discussion, especially uh, in the, the heartbeat of college football fandom, which is uh, the, the Southeast and the heartland of America. 
I don't think viewers in Texas are getting their fair share of conversation because of what they did to Bama at home in Tuscaloosa. Ewers was phenomenal, cold-blooded, and I thought they did a great job in the broadcast of pointing out it looks like he's going out to a random practice or a scrimmage instead of playing in Tuscaloosa, going toe-to-toe, and, and winning against Nick Saban in Alabama. It was a big moment for him because so much of the hype around Texas this entire offseason was about another incoming freshman. Yeah. And it was about Arch Manning. Now, there was never, hey, Arch Manning's going to start over Quinn Ewers, but we know what the attention was on, and that was on Arch Manning coming to Texas. Quinn Ewers has just gone out and, and won a game that Texas has not won since 1969. A road win over a top three AP opponent, and they did so in convincing fashion. I, I'm very impressed with him. Same. Very impressed with their receivers. Huge win for Steve Sarkeesian. And they're up to number four now in the updated polls. Trey Wallace was there in T-Town. We'll get his reaction and the behind-the-scenes optics of who's Alabama now. That's next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless, from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. We're reacting to the football weekend. Some NFL discussion coming up right now. More college football. Trey Wallace joins us. College football reporter at Outkick.com. Trey, good to see you, man. And uh, what a scene in Tuscaloosa. Uh, pre-game, in-game, and post-game based on the results of what Texas did winning by 10 against Saban and the Tide. Guys, hope y'all are doing well. Always a pleasure to join you guys. And uh, coming off a, a crazy, crazy Saturday in, in college football. And that was, you know, I, I, was, I was on the field for, you know, Tennessee's win last year over Alabama. And, and I was watching, you know, LSU's win over Alabama. But for that to happen inside Bryant-Denny Stadium, you know, and, and pregame was crazy. Like I, so I, I, I roamed the, I roamed the stadium, kind of roamed the field 
during the game. I wanted to get a feel of the atmosphere. Um, the the Texas band, probably about 60 members of them are way up in the upper deck, like in the farthest mm-hmm. corner possible, the upper deck. And in the atmosphere, by the way, Texas fans traveled really well, in my opinion. In in the atmosphere, the whole game, you could just sense it was tense from Alabama's standpoint. They did not know what they were going to get. After that first Jalen Milrow interception, I kept wondering, okay, how far is this thing, how far does this thing get down the road before they make a change? And if they decide to do it. Um, Nick Saban talked about that post game, but I, but I thought, you know, I, I thought that Texas and the way they played Quinn Ewers guys, that defensive line was mauling Alabama. Jalen Milrow rarely had time to pass the football. If he did, he was scrambling outside the pocket and, and, and made some nice throws too, but also two costly interceptions. And you just look at this Texas team and I, and I phrased this following the game. I said, I'm not ready to declare Texas is back. But they damn sure got the opportunity to prove it now that they are back. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from the, from this game is that this looked like a football team, if they can continue doing this, that will be vying for a playoff spot come November because they've got it at wide receiver, at quarterback, at running back, on the defensive line, the offensive line. They just they just ran through Alabama, and and if it weren't you know, and I know Alabama fans are okay. Well, a couple penalties brought back touchdowns. Okay, well, you know, you had ten penalties on the game, you gave up six sacks. You know, you didn't play good football. And and for Texas, man, just what a performance by Steve Sarkeesian, his staff, and and Quinn Ewers and them. And there's no program in America, uh, there's not many who you could say have underachieved as much as Texas since 2009 when Colt McCoy got them to the national championship game where funny enough, they lost to, to Alabama that night, but now they're 91 uh, t- and 72 to me. Then. They are back uh, with this win. I mean, that's the first ever double digit loss at home for Nick Saban since he's been the coach at Alabama, which is crazy to think about all of that success. But now the move to the sec, what we spent ahead, not just talking about their playoff chances right now, Trey, but the move to the sec, does this ultimately help or hurt Texas though? Because now that they've got it rolling, I'm looking around and thinking that's a perennial Big 12 champion possibly in the current construct of that conference. Uh, they're going to pick up another loss or maybe two in the SEC, or will they, based on what we saw on Saturday night? Man, first off, Chad, you know, win the Big 12, go out of that conference with the title in one hand, the middle finger in the other hand. Um, that's what Texas' goal is when it comes to the Which Big Oklahoma 12. Which Oklahoma will have something to say about that also. We, we should note agree. that. Yeah. And I agree completely. Um, but I think this was a this was a huge marker towards the future for Texas. You know, I, I'm I'm sitting there on the field and I'm listening to Texas fans chant SEC, 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 and I'm thinking, okay, in a year you guys are going to be in this. It's going to be every weekend. You're going to travel to Tuscaloosa. You're going to travel to Baton Rouge and Gainesville and whatnot. But I think this set them up for a nice welcome to the conference. Maybe not Nick Saban's standpoint, but overall, this was good for Texas. Texas needed something like this to happen. Um, They did not need to go eight and four this season and not live up to expectations of what, you know, the media and, and, and others predicted them to do this season. And I think walking into Tuscaloosa, 
and, and I'll say this, it never felt like the moment was too big for Texas. They came into that game. Quinn Ewers was throwing dimes to A.D. Mitchell, you know, from the start. And it never felt like the moment was too big for them. It felt like that they came out with a purpose to absolutely dominate. And I think this only helps, man. I do. I, I don't think this is a, a target on their back or anything along those lines. Um, this is going to be something that could propel them now, first off, to a Big 12 title, take care of Oklahoma, don't have any slip-ups, do that, potentially make the playoffs, and then who knows what happens. And, and I, look, I don't know if I'm ready to say Texas is a playoff team, but they darn sure proved to me that they can win the Big 12, and if that happens, they're going to have a spot in the playoffs lined up for them. So I, I, ju I just think it's massive, and, it, 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 you know, the 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 celebration after the game and and you can tell there was a relief but there was also a we told you so type of thing i mean matthew mcconaughey's on the field and he's throwing up the horns and he's you know his laid back approach and hop fiving players and it was just one of those atmospheres that i didn't i didn't know what to expect in this game but coming out of it i think texas took the next step in 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 terms of their move to the Southeastern Conference, especially Steve Sarkeesian, Chad, he needed this win. Well, and I, 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 I hesitate to go all in with Texas for this reason. Right. They're, they're, I've harped on this for over a year. Alabama has had this coming. They have had back-to-back -back years prior to kickoff this year where they have weird penalties, uh, organization issues, too many men on the field, they have the tip pass in the end zone that could have been intercepted. It goes for a touchdown. It's called back uh, because of a, a lineman downfield. They've had these problems, but they've had the guy to bail them out. And I would, just wasn't buying the fact that they had that. So now they're doing the same thing. What we saw from Bama is pretty much what we've seen from Bama, minus the quarterback that is their savior. And they didn't make it to the playoff last year with Bryce Young because of these same type of issues. So Texas was great. But they still have to know, and so does Bama, that three of the touchdowns caught in that game were former Georgia Bulldogs. Burton yep. caught one, and A.D. Mitchell had two of them. And when you look at Bama, they've got Tresman Marshall at linebacker who couldn't crack the starting lineup at Georgia, who's getting significant reps at Alabama now. That's unheard of. He's cracking. He's starting at Bama over guys that they've recruited to play that position, and they're known for it. Um, the difference in the team is at QB. The difference, the difference is magnifying, Jonathan, sitting on that field, man. Um, and they didn't seeing, address it. They, they, they sat back and they were, it, it was odd that they didn't bring in more. But it, they're contemplating and, and quarterback, but it's not, what, it's not a good answer. Right. And here's what, here's what was, was, was glaring to me. The passes that Quinn Ewers was making, he trusted his wide receivers. If you look at two of those passes, he just – chunk those balls in the air and let his receivers run underneath them and grab. I mean, and there were two beautiful dimes to the end zone where guys didn't have to stop running in stride, catching like the QB separation is what stood out to me. Alabama's got a problem right now with Jalen Milrow, in my opinion. Um, Nick Saban was asked post game. If he, if he thought about making a change, he said, well, I thought about it. We didn't discuss it, but after Jalen drove them down the field and scored a touchdown, he found more confidence. Jalen Milrow, in my opinion, 
is going to need a lot more help if he is going to win football games. And that comes from the rushing attack. That comes from his offensive line. How many times did you see the center put the ball on the ground um, and, and, and Jalen Milrow have to make a play? But I say all that to say this. If Alabama is not going to suffer, let's just say, three losses this season, I think we have to see what else Alabama has at quarterback. Um, and, and whether that be Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner, I don't care. And you know what? Saturday gives you that opportunity against South Florida in Tampa, which is crazy, by the way. At 3.30 on Saturday, you guys are going to be watching Alabama in Tampa on South Florida's field. It, it's just going to look weird, Alabama going on the road to play a team like that. But I'm just saying overall in general, right now it doesn't feel like Alabama is – an SEC title winner over Georgia because the West is going to be so crazy. LSU playing Mississippi State this weekend, in my opinion, Will Rogers could come out, you know, and throw four touchdowns and shock LSU. I'm just overall, I think Bama and Nick Saban and Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, have got to figure out what is the main thing that they want to stick with the quarterback this season. If that's how they want to play it, if that's how they want to have Jalen Milrow scrambling outside the pocket and finding a receiver 15, 20 yards down the field and Texas players running into each other, and that's how the guy got in, so be it. That's fine. But if they want to go win a national championship, they better tweak some things on offense, or it could be an interesting season for the folks in Tuscaloosa and Nick Saban. It's very early, obviously. We're two weeks into the season. But after Saturday, first quarter's over. You know, we're through 25% of the college football season. Trey, I'm ready to call it. This is a down year for the SEC. There's not a single team outside of Georgia who's about what we thought they were that I would say is better than expected coming into the season. And I'm going down through every team in the conference. They're either about where we thought or worse. The bottom of the conference is the bottom of the conference. We expected coming in. Outside of a nice win for Ole Miss at Tulane against the backup quarterback at Tulane no with Michael Pratt out, what has the SEC really shown so far this season? Nothing. Uh, and I'm sorry. So Lane Kiffin goes to New Orleans and beats Tulane without Michael Pratt. Congratulations to Ole Miss. Not taking anything away from them. They're talented, but they didn't have their star quarterback, man. A guy who, you know, I was talking to Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, who you guys know who's going to be probably a, a nice pick in the first round, potentially, in the NFL draft. You don't have your quarterback. Okay, let's go down the list. I knew this was going to happen this weekend. Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, what'd they do? They went to Miami. They laid an egg. They played horrible. The offensive scheme looked just weird with Bobby Petrino. And by the way, it really wasn't the offense that killed them. It was their bad defense. You let Tyler Van Dyke throw five touchdowns on you. You get beat up in South Florida. And we can go down the list, man. LSU didn't look good against Florida State. Arkansas, I'm still kind of like, okay, we know what to expect from Arkansas, but let's see. Mississippi State, you know, they they go down the wire with Arizona. But I agree. Like, top teams, Tennessee looked horrible this weekend against Austin P. I mean, if it weren't for a couple turnovers, that game, you know, it was 10 points in the fourth quarter. Their passing offense is non-existent. I think everything else has been okay. Uh, yeah, they have no rhythm in their passing game with Joe Milton so far through two games. The teams that look but, good have have quarterbacks that have returned. That, that agree across the country. Yeah, 
Well, and the well, SEC I, doesn't I, have it, a lot of those. Right. No, they don't. No, they don't. And you, and you look at the teams that could cause problems. You know, I, I look up at Oregon at Bo Nix. You know, I, I look at, you know, right now, you know, what USC's doing with Caleb Williams, you know, in, in the Pac-12. It's just, you know, and I could go on and on about the quarterbacks. Well, and look, someone day. will emerge, and it's still going to be yes. exciting because there's going to be a lot of toss-up games. I, I think, honestly, this will lead to a more NFL-like SEC this year where every week you're going to see four or five big matchups that are coin toss type games because we don't really see those dominant programs. I, I don't look at LSU or Alabama and think they're just going to blow people out of the water in every game this year. Georgia might do that. They're the two-time defending national champion. But I say all this, Trey, and we'll probably be sitting here in January looking at an SEC team winning the national title again. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it, it could it, be a down it, year and Georgia could win a third straight. All those yeah, things it, could be true. It could be, but also I want to see Georgia against some competition. Georgia's yeah. offense has not looked good under Mike Boba over the, over the two games against Cupcakes. So I just just want to see what that offense looks like. But I agree with you, man. From top, top to bottom, the, you know, even this weekend, like I just mentioned, Chad, like that LSU Mississippi State game. To me, I could see the Bulldogs winning it, especially at eleven o'clock in the morning in Starkville, where you know the Bulldogs be ready to go, or the Tigers going to be ready to go. I saw what they did against Grambling, but that doesn't mean anything. So it's just every weekend I think is going to give us an opportunity for a good game, whether you like it or not, and whether the teams are good or not. We're about to find out. Like, you know, what the Spencer Rattler go into Athens this weekend and throw four or five touchdowns? We don't know. I mean, we it, it, and that's and that's because it's uncharacteristic at the spot that we're in right now um, at quarterback in the SEC. So. Just a, a wild weekend, and, and hell, we haven't even gotten a Dion yet. Yeah, and, and Trey, just get, uh, we're up against it here, but just something yeah. to, to ponder over the week. Uh, SEC down year, the teams that look good are joining the Big Ten of the SEC. Oh, they're, yeah. They're opting to leave to join, which is, I mean, you're looking at the future of those two conferences. And Texas might win the SEC and, if and, they win it this year. And Florida State's still in the ACC, but they'd love to get out. You yeah. know, like, no, so. I agree. It's all headed it, it, to those it, two conferences, no doubt. Hey, look, I know we're we're two games into this, but it's going to be a crazy, you know, a, a crazy season, and, and we all know that. Notre Dame versus Ohio State next week, Colorado versus Oregon. Yep. Trey, I don't thank know. you. Who knows? Trey Appreciate Wallace, Trey, Outkick, man. senior college reporter. Uh, check out all the great work at Outkick.com. Coming up, alphas and betas across the sports weekend, and we dive into the NFL results of Week One next. Glad you're with us. How am I with Hunting with our rolls on chat? How about uh, Colorado and and Dion? We'll get to some of this in a moment, but they, they win so and win and win thoughts. more. So many thoughts on the whole day. I watch Big Noon kickoff. I mean, the most dramatic entrance of a coach I've ever seen. And if he's got the you know medical issue, yeah, with, with his, his foot. foot. So the the walk in was slow for that reason. Two toes, amputated. but the cameras. The, I mean, the crowd scene, um, the bro hugs on stage, the long conversation. Mark You've Ingram loves him. ESPN College Game Day interviewing Nick Saban, an interview that started at eight fifty six a.m. Central Time, that bled over the start of Big Noon kickoff, a strategic move by ESPN knowing that, that Fox was going to open with Dion taking the stage so he could get back to his team in time for kickoff. It was quite the scene in Boulder, Colorado, all the way around from the pregame show 
through the game to the post game. So much to get into with, with that one. Dion with the alpha mentality there in Boulder, and it's paying off. They got both Big Noon and Game Day that are arriving in Boulder for this week's game. And then you've got bigger games coming up. We'll, we'll dive into what's on the horizon for yeah. Deion Sanders and that program. Colorado State, who they play this week, opened the season <sighs> in week one against Washington State, lost 50-24, to 24, then immediately had a bye week. And now they yeah. get ready for Colorado. I'm thinking, I've never seen a week two bye week. Usually if you play week zero, maybe, you'll have a week one or week two a week off if you get that extra week. But yeah. they didn't do that. So they, they played a game and essentially went right back into training camp for two weeks to get ready for Colorado. Chad, uh, alphas and betas uh, coming off of the, the sports weekend. Where do you start with the alpha list? Well, I mean, look, we can go uh, any number of ways in the NFL, but Hutton, I think there's one. <laughs> Where we have to start was what we saw last night, um, and that is with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I, I, I look at that and immediately think, that defense, I mean, if they – first off, from the Giants' perspective, to go all offseason anticipating a Sunday night football game against the Cowboys in division and to get – just walloped 40 to nothing that way is crazy to think about. But the Cowboys were dominant in that game last night. Certainly an alpha light performance from the Cowboys. And I've got Dak Prescott on my fantasy team. He did nothing for me because he didn't have to. Because they ran all over them and the defense and special teams ruled the day for the Cowboys. Seven sacks, two interceptions, one pick six. You had the block field goal for the touchdown by Igbenigany. You had uh, five forced fumbles. Great job with that name, by the way. And no points allowed. No way I was gotten that one. No points allowed. Crazy. More alphas of the week. And in the rain. But somehow, it didn't affect Dallas hanging no. on to the football. No. It was bad in the second half at one point when I was, I was watching that game and the rain really started coming down. But great opening week. We'll get to some other good opening weeks in the NFL as we go through the show today. But I was entirely blown away by the Cowboys' performance start to finish that game last night. Uh, Another one, uh, an alpha up in – we'll stay up in the New York City area. We'll go to Flushing now at the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic and Coco Gauff winning the U.S. Open. And the hilarious irony of the Moderna shot of the day having to be played on ESPN when Novak Djokovic wins yet another Grand Slam and winning the U.S. Open easily – uh, the dude is the greatest of all time. Just adds to that resume. And Coco Goff, what a cool scene for the Americans. Six-seeded going into the tournament to win the U.S. Open. Hutton, I'm all in on America. I'm all in on American athletes no, no matter what. Yeah. I'm all in on Coco Goff and that emotional scene as she takes home the U.S. Open. Really, really cool. Alphas, both of them. Novak and Coco. Brock Purdy arrived last year. And all offseason, it's been, okay, you know, he's coming back off the elbow. Uh, Pittsburgh in the preseason, I'm, I, I, I'm buying in. I'm not selling Pittsburgh yet. But the preseason with Pickett and what this offense did meant absolutely zero. Nothing. Because the Niners walked in to Heinz Field and demolished them. The game ended up being closer than what it actually was. 20 to nothing. And Pickett, who was awful was the exact opposite, 180 degrees, to what Brock Purdy showed up and did. Christian McCaffrey, phenomenal. And the throw that Purdy made to Ayuk in the corner of the end zone, 
This, uh, this story is unbelievable. I would say that that defense is the toughest defense he's faced in those starts, even dating back to last year. And he carved them up, Chad. The Niners with their defense and what you expect with their different, they have different, not even gadget players. It, it, they're not even role players. But the way they use them in different ways, superstar status in very uh, particular down and distances is a great job by the coaching staff and specifically the young quarterback who no one thought was going to jump on the scene and do what he's doing. Well, and he calls out Patrick Peterson in the post game. He said, oh, that one that one fade route, that was on Patrick Peterson, who said, right? Who Peterson, said he was going to have a pick in the game? Well, no, but Peterson said that he had tells, that Purdy had, has, yeah. had tells. Alpha um, move by him. To, yeah. and, and look, you don't have to. We're going to get to someone who goes way too over the top uh, here soon in our betas of the week. You don't have to go scorched earth over the top in a press conference. A subtle dig like that sometimes can be far more impactful. And that's what we saw from Brock, Brock Purdy post game with that little dig at, at Peterson. Uh, incredible performance. May have been the rare case of a team reading their press clippings from the preseason because Pittsburgh looked out of well. sorts overconfident, just flat-out bad in that game. Now, it's the NFL, plenty of time to regroup, but they're going to need to do some soul-searching this week. You don't normally say that after one loss in the NFL, but, I mean, they got – them and the Giants both got well, smacked in the face San Fran, in week one. That, they're one of the standards of the league yep. uh, with what they do defensively. And then the, I mean, cons- just consider what they whiffed on and what they gave up to go get Trey Lance, and they end up with Purdy – who opens the season with with this type of performance coming off of the elbow surgery. Allie in our YouTube chat says that Coco Goff, by the way, an alpha at 19 years old. I yeah. should have pointed that also. <laughs> Winning the U.S. Open at 19. Very, very impressive. Shall we go to our betas? Absolutely. Let, uh, I kicked I, the betas with the NFL offensive output uh, to begin. I, I harped on this last week. Take the unders. Under, Take under, the under, 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 all weekend. The first eight games, the early block of yesterday, Games went to halftime about the same amount of time. Here are your halftime scores of the eight games. 16 teams. Thought about you all weekend, Hutton, with this. 16 teams combined for 13 first-half touchdowns in the early block. Minnesota and Tampa Bay tied at 10. Tennessee and and New Orleans, 9-6. San Francisco, Pittsburgh, 20-7. Arizona, Washington, 13-10 Cardinals. Carolina was up 10-7 over Atlanta. Cleveland up on Cincinnati, 10-0. Jacksonville, 14. Indianapolis, 7. And Baltimore, 7. Houston, 6. That's your offensive output of week one. Las Vegas and Denver, as we look at the late afternoon slate. um, 12 offensive possessions total for the entire game between those two teams. 12. I took out the Neal. That possession. 12 possessions. And 18 teams failed to hit 200 yards net passing in week one. And we still have one game to play. Some, Burrow, I mean, some of the quarterback play, uh, Jones coming off the contracts and what their offenses didn't do. Burrow throws for 82 yards, I think, 86 or 82 Terrible. yards total. A lot of bad offense for an offensive league where the rules are set up in their favor. And these teams look like they haven't practiced in a week and a half or two weeks based on the way they come up sluggish. Defense normally wins early, but not not like this. Not when the league is touting 
offensive scores coming off of the COVID year where they didn't have training camp or a full off season the way that they wanted. It was, and they still came up and put up big numbers. Not, not now, even with the star quarterbacks. It was a struggle offensively in week one. So if you took out his advice on taking the unders with all the stats he laid out, you probably made they, some money hey, this they week. They can't all beat Miami and L.A. No, and that's they, fine. And that, yeah, exactly. It's fine. But, but it's one thing to have really good defense. Another thing to just really have really poor offense. Bad play overall. Yeah. yeah I, I thought what we saw with Cowboys. For, now there was some bad offense mixed in also. But Cowboys 49ers, really good defensive performance and sure. blowouts. Some other games just very, very sloppy. I'll tell you one non-sloppy offensive performance came from Shador Sanders, uh, who for a second straight week looked really good on the field. Yeah. But he is a beta of the week for this reason. He's not his dad. And you got to stop talking like you're you're his you're your dad, who's a, a pro football Hall of Famer, and has earned every right to talk trash. And also, if you're going to talk trash and bring down a program you just beat, you might want to get your facts straight. If you're Shador Sanders, I thought his post game tirade against Nebraska and Matt Rule was completely over the top, out of the line. And the biggest problem with it, it wasn't factual. He said that he disrespected my daddy. He did. This. Matt Rule never mentioned Deion Sanders all offseason. He did an interview on the bus with Taylor Lewan and Will Compton where he simply talked about he wants to make sure he's focusing on his guys and not worrying about guys that left the portal and not worrying as much about the portal. Never mentioned Deion Sanders. And the worst part of this is Shador Sanders goes on a rant talking about how don't come and try to act nice to me and my daddy after the game when you gather your team at midfield on the Buffalo before the game and you're mocking us. They were praying. And, in fact, Matt Rule had to come back today and said, Shador Sanders walked up to us. I invited him and the entire Colorado team to come pray with us. We were praying for the safety of both teams before the game. We once did an interview with Dion's oldest son on our old radio show because Deion Sanders did not know who Kevin Byard was, even though he worked for the NFL Network, and he was talking about this like it was some sort of good thing. Why would he know who Kevin Byard was, who I believe that year was first, first or second team All-Pro in the NFL? And his son came on to defend him. And by the end of the interview, I thought, this is maybe the least likable human we've ever had on a radio show, the way he came across. This was a kid who was born two feet from home plate, not just on third. Two steps from home, and the ball was in the right field corner the entire time and acted like he had accomplished everything in life already at probably at the time 22, 23 years old. Shador Sanders sounded that way after the game. I'm here to tell you, kid is a phenomenal quarterback. He's proving everyone wrong on the field. Good for him. Colorado's proving doubters wrong also. Good for them. He may need to be humbled in a game. That, that's what I took away from that post-game press conference. A kid who needs to get humbled. And that time is coming for Colorado. Sooner than later. Not this week. Sports has a funny way in all facets of life of teaching you humility. Whether you're a fan, a coach, a player, a parent, whatever it may be, you are going to be humbled along the way. Shador Sanders will be humbled this year. And he is one of the betas of the week. The Bears were humbled. Yes, they were. And I add them to our list here based on the performance against the Green Bay Packers who own the franchise of Chicago. Uh, their ninth consecutive victory. And they went in with Jordan Love and put on a show. Uh, seven of Chicago's 12 drives resulted in a punt uh, or an interception or a fumble or a, a turnover on downs. So it was ugly. Just Fields accounted for 87% of the Bears' total yards 
yesterday. He led the team in rushing. And in nine attempts, 59 yards. And, and I mean, think about all of the offseason acquisition uh, failing to push the ball downfield, a lot of screen plays, and an offensive line that looked like the worst in the NFL. It's a week one overreaction in saying that. But if you're not going to give the guy time to actually throw the football, I can't sit here and crush him for being a running back and not a quarterback. And that's due in large part to the fact that he's on the move quickly. And it was against Green Bay who, I mean, last I checked, Aaron Rodgers is debuting tonight. One weekend, but Jordan Love looked pretty good. He did. In that game. I I was impressed with some of those throws. He looked good. Uh, Not bad. Not bad. Um, Also, just uh, for honorable mention, uh, the Aggies' agony against the Miami Hurricanes. Well, it's not just the, once again, not performing well in a big moment at Miami in front of not many people, by the way, not many fans. Combine that with Texas's weekend if you're an Aggie. And that's rough all around. The Aggies lose at Miami. Texas goes to Tuscaloosa and wins. Colorado's been winning. They're winning big in the publicity factor, too. We start there. We also discuss Texas being back. And what about Bama next?